I am excited to start a brand new series this morning called Forever Changed. Forever Changed. Now, the reality about this year, 2020, which has been called a hot mess, the reality of 2020 is that we are changing. Everything is changing. Everything. Our daily routine has changed. How we shop has changed. How we eat has changed. How we work has changed. How we do school has changed. Athletics have changed. I've been watching, you know, golf a little bit here and there. I watched uh, an inning and a half of baseball the other day, the opening night. That's all I could take of baseball. Anyway, kind of weird, no fans, but everything has changed, right? NFL says they're on, they're doing it. So uh, everything has changed. It's going to be a little different though. Uh, College sports, high school sports are changing, delaying. Uh, Entertainment has changed with amusement parks parks and theaters. Um, Everything that we do in life has changed. Vacations have changed. Church has changed, which is why you're sitting at the comfort of your own home this morning. And we're not here. It's me and four buddies of mine. So um, everything has changed. Now, some of these changes will click back to normal, but some of these changes are going to be permanent. And that's what we're going to talk about during this series, about six weeks on what is permanently changing because of these troubled times that we're in. What is permanently changing? And what we'll see from from the scripture is that we are designed for change. We're designed for trouble. Not to just be overwhelmed by trouble, but to be changed by trouble for the good and forever. So it is really going to be a great series. Hope you're with us and please share this with all your friends and family and neighbors. Um, Here's something that we're saying a lot around here, around Rancho. We won't get back to normal, but we will get back to better. We're saying this constantly around here. We don't really want to get back to normal because if we get back to normal, this whole 2020 season that we've gone through would have been for nothing. That normal is now irrelevant. We we have grown past the normal of the past because of this pandemic and racial tensions and election turmoil and all the things that we're experiencing in 2020. We need to grow past what was previously normal into a better future. And and so we don't want to get back to normal. We want to get back to better and let that be true of us and let that be true of our families. Let that be true of our church. Let that be true of our nation. We want to be changed for the good through this trouble and we want to be changed forever. But here's the thing about change. Even that word might stress some of you out. Some people do not like change. It makes people very uncomfortable because change for some feels like insecurity. Uh, Human beings love to be in control, and we're never in control, but we love the sense of being in control. We like to pretend we're in control. And so when things change around us, whether it's, you know, disease or politics or tensions in the streets, we didn't cause any of that. We didn't do any of that. It's just happening, and the results of what's happening impact our lives. And so through no real fault of our own, things are changing around us. Everything is changing, and so we feel out of control. So we feel insecure, and we can feel anxious, and we lash out in anger or ten, you know, tantrums or, or, or hurtful words. Um, and, so, and so the sense of, of being out of control really is the feeling that comes from change for so many people. But some people are okay with change. And if you know me at all, you probably wouldn't be surprised that I actually like change and I like to create change. Uh, hopefully not always change for the sake of change, but purposeful change. Now, if you, you were to ask me why I like change, I would give you an answer that is true, but not the whole truth. So let me give you the, the half truth answer first. Why do I like change? Well, I like change because I like to think that change can make us better. 
We, we can't become better without change. That's just not possible. That's the very definition of better is that it's different than it was before. So I, I like to think that, you know, I'm on a journey of, a journey of being better, whether it's as a husband or a father or a leader or a pastor, um, a better church, building a better school, a better rescue mission. You know, everything I, I do, I'd like to get a little better at. And in order to get better at that, there's got to be intentional change. The reality is nothing can get better without change. We can't get better without change. The, the things that we influence can't get better without change. Our family can't get stronger without change. So let's embrace change because nothing can get better without it. Uh, for those of you who are in business, you might have heard the word Kaizen, or my, my, you might even use it in your business. Uh, kaizen is a Japanese concept of Kai in, in Zen. It means change good or change for the good. Now, the Kaizen um, you know, whole, whole process is constant improvement constant change to bring constant improvement. And so the idea behind Kaizen is, is that if a company in particular, if a company never changes and just kind of rests on their laurels and, hey, we got a good product and good people, let's just keep doing the same things, and never intentionally improving, at some point, especially in today's world, they'll become irrelevant in a half a minute, right? And so there's got to be this constant change towards constant improvement, right? And to embrace that, to embrace that. Now, if I were to tell you the whole truth as to why uh, I like change is because when I change things, I'm in control of those things. And so it really boils down to control. Whether we don't like change because we feel out of control or we create change so we feel like we're in control, it's really a battle against the fear and anxiety of the reality that we're really all out of control, right? When it boils right down to it. So, so instead of either avoiding change or, or kind of falsely creating change to give a sense of control, maybe we can walk a better journey of embracing the change that happens around us, whether we cause it or not, whether we can control it or not, to embrace the process of change, whether it's in good times or troubled times, to embrace the process of change as actually being something that is God's design for us. Because God designed us for change. He didn't design us to be static. He designed us to be dynamic, to change. So here's the reality about changing uh, from the inside, changing by God's work in us. Change requires us to submit to God and let him be in control of making us the person he wants us to become. You can even call this the, the grand purpose of life, right? This is a big concept. The grand purpose of life is to submit to God to let him change us to become the person he wants us to become. Now, kind of the older church word is discipleship. It's not really a biblical word, but discipleship is the process of, of growing in our faith. What we'll see today is, is the biblical concept of growing, transforming, conforming into the image of Jesus. That's the journey. That's the journey. And we have this wonderful promise in the book of Philippians 1.6. It says this, I am certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day of Christ Jesus. And so we see that God's design for us is to constantly change until the final day of Jesus. We can call it the great day of resurrection, right? Where we're, 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 we're in his glory and, and display his glory forever. So this work that God's doing in us to change us to be more like Christ is a constant journey. It does not stop until the day of resurrection. God is constantly at work in us, constantly changing us. Now, the disciples were often not very cool with being changed by Jesus. 
In fact, we see a lot of the interactions between Jesus and his disciples, and uh, they want to stay put. They want to enjoy what they've got. They want to enjoy their traditions, and they don't want to move. And so Jesus is often moving them and prodding them, and, and sometimes by confrontation, sometimes by putting them in uncomfortable situations. One of the most famous is, is the, foot, the foot washing. When Jesus, in his last hours, gathered his disciples together, and, uh, and they were celebrating the Passover feast. This is a very sort of high formal feast, the, the centerpiece of the Hebrew culture. And so they're together, and the disciples are sitting on their rear ends waiting to be served. That's just the way it goes. They're in a household in Jerusalem. There's usually a house servant who would do the dirty work of washing the feet and so forth, uh, which is an Eastern custom. And so they're sitting around waiting for someone to serve them. But Jesus shows them that the power of God is meant not for their benefit, but meant for the benefit of others. So Jesus takes a basin and a towel, and Jesus, the Lord, the master, the rabbi, he starts washing the disciples' feet. And here's what Peter does. Peter says, no. Now, that's not something you want to say to uh, the Lord God Almighty in human flesh, but he says, no, and he protested to Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, if I don't wash your feet, you don't belong to me. And then there's this interaction where Peter's trying to, you know, get his act together, and it's all awkward. But basically, Jesus is, is compelling Peter to change, get him out of his, his comfort zone where he's sitting there doing nothing, just expecting a servant to wash his feet. And Jesus says, no, I am changing you. I'm changing your heart. I'm changing your lifestyle. We enjoy the power of God and the love of God and the grace of God, but we use all of that to serve others. And Jesus says, do exactly as I've done for you. See, change isn't easy. Change isn't easy, but we can learn to embrace it knowing it can make us better. Embrace change. Embrace change. And that's what we're going to talk about through this Forever Changed series, embracing this biblical change, embracing the kind of change that Jesus did with his disciples to, to have us be a part of that same journey of changing in order to become more like Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a new idea. It's not a new, new idea in terms of something out of the blue. It's fully scriptural, but we don't think of this in this, these terms. The process of changing is what the Bible calls salvation. Dramatic pause. This process of changing is what the Bible calls salvation. Now, some of your heads might be spinning right now, so, so hang on a sec. If you were born and raised in church, you probably think salvation happened in the past. We say things like, I was saved. I was saved when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At the moment, I believe I was saved as an event of the past. And that's partially right. The scripture does include passages that say we were saved in the past when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That's part of it. We also think of salvation maybe as something in the future. We will be saved maybe when we die and go to heaven. So a lot of our thinking has the bookends. I was saved when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ so that I can go to heaven when I die. So there's a moment of belief and a moment of death, and, and in between, what is that? Well, for a lot of people, it's about kind of maybe waiting around and maybe some Bible studies, go to church, you know, whatever. But there's not a lot of purpose here. We were saved as we said that prayer, believed in Jesus so that we can be saved when we die and go to heaven. But in between, what is this? Well, that is salvation as well. It's salvation as well. This whole process of changing to become more like Christ is salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18 
The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are, get this, being saved. We're being saved. We know it's the very power of God. Now, that's an interesting concept, and it's not just in, in 1 Corinthians. It's in Romans. It's, it's many places in the Scripture, this concept that there is a journey, there's a process, a saving work of change that goes on in every one of us. That's the concept of being saved, being changed. We can put it this way. Being saved is the process of changing in order to become the person God wants me to be. That's my personal salvation. Yes, there was a moment of belief in the past which started this saving journey of changing to be the person God wants me to be. And yes, I will enjoy that in full forever. That's a promise of God that's in Scripture as well. But let's not neglect this very foundational reality that my change, the change that God is doing in my life right now, is the salvation process, right, for me. But it's not just for me, it's for the world. Being saved is also the process of changing in order to become the world God wants it to be. So God is saving us by changing us into the likeness of Christ. God is, is saving the world by changing the world to be more and more like heaven. My salvation journey is to become more and more like Christ. The world's salvation journey is to become more and more like heaven. That's God's saving work. So embrace the change. Now, when we say embrace the change in church, that could be met with some resistance. Church is not a place that easily embraces change. Um, you may know that we're connected with a, a denomination. There's about 1,000 churches in the denomination, and I'm telling you, 90-plus percent of them aren't changing anything. They're not changing anything. Because for, for some people, for a lot of people, church is sort of that unchanging place. Church is that predictable place where I can go and I can hear my songs and I can hear my doctrine. I can just get the comfort of, of not being prodded and not being challenged and, 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 and to just be reminded of the things that give me peace. And listen, I want to be really clear here, especially here at the tradition service. There's nothing wrong with the Christian traditions that are timeless, in fact, this gospel, this message that we hold on to, the love of, uh, of God expressed fully through Jesus who gave his life to forgive sin and to bring us into a right relationship with God by grace and rose from the dead to ensure us that we have new and eternal life now and forever, that, that is an unchanging gospel message, right? We don't want to mess with that. But the whole process of becoming more and more like Christ is by definition a process of change. And so in church... We've got to learn how to embrace change, not for the sake of change, but for the sake of becoming like Christ. Very often in, in church circles, you know, we don't change the music, right? The new music is unbiblical. Don't change how I view the Bible. You know, I know what the Word of God means. Don't change my doctrine. What I was taught when I was younger is truth. My truth, I'm holding on to that, and I really don't want you to challenge that. Don't change what I learned in Sunday school or youth group. That's kind of my formative years and my treasure, and I cling on to that pretty tightly. Uh, don't, don't read outside of what affirms my doctrine and my traditions. That's just, that's not right. It's dangerous. Don't change my thinking. Don't change my politics. Don't change my way of life. I mean, we just don't like change, especially in a church context. Now, one step further, in the church context, faithfulness is very often defined as not changing. Now, understand this. Faithfulness is sort of like, don't waver from the core doctrines. Be faithful to the core doctrines. That's fine. But sometimes we extend that beyond the core doctrines. We say, don't change or don't, <clears throat> don't, excuse me, don't challenge anything because we want to be faithful, which means we want to be steadfast and immovable 
in all of these traditions, whether it's worship style traditions or doctrinal traditions, faithfulness is considered to be not moving. That's exactly the opposite of what faithfulness is, right? So faithfulness is sometimes defined as digging in our heels, unwavering and never changing. That's faithfulness. I'm solid. I don't change. I don't move. I don't compromise, right? I, I, don't, I don't embrace these other ideas that could be, you know, quote, dangerous. It's because faithfulness has been defined as unchanging. It's the opposite. Faithfulness is actually changing, constantly changing, for the good, to become like Christ. Here's, here's Romans 12 too. Get this. Familiar passage. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the church that understands the gospel. They understand Jesus. They follow Jesus. But they're not done. Where they started in faith is certainly not where they want to end. There's a constant transformation to be a new person by changing the way we think. Then we will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and, per and perfect. So we're not just changing for the sake of change. We're changing to become the person God wants us to be, good and pleasing and perfect. That's a process. It's an ever-going process. It never changes the process of changing, right? Church life is, is often immovable and stale. And so I have a, a couple of plants here, right? Here is uh, a, a fiddle tree, right? And here is a, I don't know, some kind of fern thing. I don't know this one. But anyway, here's a little fiddle plant. Um, this thing never changes. Why? It's plastic. This is a plastic plant. And uh, it might look pretty decent. You know, I'm not a big fiddle plant person, but it might look pretty decent, decent from afar. In fact, standing back over here looks pretty good. But you get closer and you realize this is just printed on plastic, Right? Now, uh, Rancho, we have a policy, number one here at Rancho, is no silk plants anywhere on campus. But so anyway, I had to bring this in. Um, but it's plastic. It doesn't change. And it's lifeless. Now, it might look pretty good from the outside, but it's lifeless. It never changes. This is what a lot of people think of church. It's just these, this reloading of traditions, right? And, and, and you examine it, and you say, there's no life here. It's just reloading unchanging things. And it's not quite relevant. It's not dynamic. It's not really alive. It's just kind of there. So we can get this out of my face. Here's a, a real live plant, right? Now this takes more work. I had to carry both of these in. This thing is a piece of cake, right? I could, I could lift it with two fingers. This is a whole different deal. There's soil there and it's wet soil and, um, and it's heavy, right? It has to be in a, a clay uh, you know, base there so it doesn't leak. This takes more work, it takes more energy. It takes watering and feeding and schedules. It takes pruning. We'll talk about that in a minute. In fact, uh, this thing's got to... That thing's got to go, right? Uh, there's a few others. But anyway, this takes work. This is what God wants of us. He doesn't want plastic, stale, immovable, not changing faithfulness, we don't move. No. Faithfulness is being alive and growing and learning and feeding and caring and, yes, even pruning. That means lopping off things that aren't helpful, right, and embracing things that are. And so what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is really about changing more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's really what faithfulness is. Changing, constantly changing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Now what that means is every once in a while, our thinking will change. What, my youth pastor didn't hold all truth? Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, he did not. 
I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and I hope and I pray every day that the people that were in my youth ministry uh, years and years ago have changed their way of thinking beyond what I taught them. I taught them the best I could based on what I knew at the time. But I have grown, and I hope they have as well, because it would be terrible if people hung on to the teaching that I gave them in youth ministry. And let me go one step further. It would probably be equally terrible if 15 years from now, Rancho Church hung on to the teaching that we're giving now. Because we're all human beings. We're all human beings and we're all flawed human beings. And we don't have this kind of great divine mystical insight into all truth. We're doing our best by the word of God, by the spirit of God, by our community together to teach accurately the word of God. But it could very well be 15 years from now, you might say, and I might say, well, you know that thing that we taught way back in 2020? Remember those times? It was strange, right? Well, we're not there anymore. Why? We grew. We changed. We might've become a little more like Jesus. And that's good. It might involve changing our theology, carefully considering what we believe and why. And not just because my... I learned it in Sunday school, or I learned it from my youth pastor, or you know, my, my pastor says it, therefore I believe it. I mean, come on, that's immaturity. That, that is kindergarten, preschool type stuff. We gotta change and grow beyond that, right? That could involve changing our priorities, changing our ministry priorities perhaps, changing how we treat people, our choices, our habits, our behavior, constantly changing into the likeness of Christ. And sometimes that does involve pruning. And pruning of a human being And pruning the way we think sometimes is very uncomfortable. Now, when I was 14 years old, I was uh, hired by a gentleman who owned a grove and a beautiful house on a hill with beautiful landscaping. And as a freshman in high school, I was hired to do his landscaping and manage his grove. Now, of course, I didn't know anything. I had to be trained. Now, he was a botanist. Um, elderly man, and so he couldn't do the work himself, so he hired me to do it, but he had to train me. And so I was trained by a botanist on how to trim a tree. That was my claim to fame in high school. Other people were athletes and jocks and whatever. I walked around, hey, who was trained by a botanist and has two thumbs? This guy, ladies, you know, anyway. Um, it was, uh, uh, I was a different kind of person. But I was trained by a botanist on how to prune a tree. And here's one of the keys, there's several, but here's one of the keys. Pruning is not about how it looks now. It's about a long-term vision of what this tree can become. Now, if the tree is designed for fruit, then you have to prune it to bear more fruit. If the tree is designed for beauty, then you have to prune it in order for it to become more beautiful over time. Not now, but over time. Typically, after you're done pruning, it doesn't look so great. And typically after you're done pruning, it's not bearing fruit. You, you, you trim it after it bears fruit. It doesn't look quite right now, but you pruned it in order for it to bear more fruit later. And you've pruned it in order for it to look more beautiful later. It's a long-term vision. Maximum fruitfulness and maximum beauty. Now think of our own lives. Every once in a while, God needs to prune us. He needs to trim some things back. Some things that we maybe used to believe need to be trimmed back. The things that we used to do need to be trimmed back. Uh, Our way of thinking needs to be trimmed back. This is not easy, but it has to happen in order for God to build in our lives maximum fruitfulness and maximum beauty, right? Here's kind of the way you prune. First of all, you got to know the purpose. Is the purpose fruitfulness or beauty? And you prune accordingly. 
Look at it from a distance. You got to see the big picture. Now translate all of this in terms of God's changing work in our own life to make us like Christ. You look at the big picture, right? And then you develop a long-term plan, a long-term plan for this tree. You can't think short-term. What's this going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now? You've got to look at how things grow, how trees grow in order to pick the right branches to cut. You prioritize the main trunks, right? The main trunks. And for us in our lives, our main trunks are our family and our walk with God and our work and our church and our community service, things like that. Prioritize the main trunks and don't be afraid to cut. This is the big deal of pruning. Don't be afraid to cut. When I was first being uh, trained by Bill Mulholland, this, this botanist, I would cut a tree and said, done. He says, you're not even close to being done. He says, you're about 20% there. Keep cutting, keep cutting. And then he'd come back, keep cutting, keep cutting. And then he told me, I'll never forget this. And I use this quite often. He says, you ought to be able to throw a cat through it when you're done. Now, I'm not a big fan of cats, so I looked forward to that. Actually, no cats were hurt in the making of this. But he says, you ought to be able to throw a cat through, through a tree after you're done cutting it. Now, it might look thin for a moment, but just be patient. The change that's happening is going to be powerful. Keep cutting. And so when it comes to our faith, sometimes we've got to just, where do I need to prune? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to grow? That's not easy. Not easy. And start when they're young. If you don't prune a tree within the very first year or two, it's going to get out of control, and it's hard to get that back. It's hard to prune a tree that hasn't been pruned right from the time it was very young which is why I am so thrilled with Rancho's children's ministries and youth ministries, because we really are starting young in partnership with families to get these kids trained early. God is a God of grace and love and mercy, and he's, he's, he's not about you know, this, this petulant God that needs to be pleased by our, our obedience or good works, right? That's just, that's so immature and so wrong. It's so anti the gospel. So to train when they're young is so important. God wants us pruned. He wants us pruned. Here's a, uh, something I want you to, to write a, a note on. If there's one thing to learn today, it's this. The pepper trees are of the devil. Pepper trees are of the devil. Take a note of that. Here's a pepper tree that is unpruned. And it's just a mess. It's basically a, a, a shrub. It's ugly. It's dying over here. It's just a mess. Uh, it's basically a weed, right? Pepper trees are a weed. This is a Brazilian pepper. We have California peppers, unfortunately, on our property. Uh, I didn't plant them. Again, all pepper trees are of the devil. So this is an unpruned pepper tree. It's hideously ugly. But even the, the most hideous tree on earth, the pepper tree, if properly trained, if properly pruned, can look pretty good. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a pepper tree that has been pruned for a very long time, right? Somebody knew what they were doing when they trained that tree probably 40, 50 years ago. That's what God's doing in our lives. That's what God is doing in our lives. Left to our own, we're just going to be this wild weed, and it's not going to be very pretty, and it's not going to bear any fruit. But God says embrace change, embrace change, embrace, embrace pruning. Really think and consider what in our lives, what in our thinking, what in our doctrine isn't quite aligned with Christ or aligned with the cause of Christ, and then embrace the pruning back. Because our lives will be more beautiful and fruitful if we are changed by the pruning work of God. I love how Jesus puts it in John 15, 1 and 2. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. God says, I want fruitfulness in this world. I want people to, to be alive in, in faith and alive in grace and to know me and to enjoy that I'm their heavenly father. He says, I want fruitfulness. I want people to be more like Jesus, God says, and I want the world to be more like heaven. That's his saving work. He wants fruitfulness, and so he will prune and prune and prune. 
There's a couple of ways to, to consider pruning. First of all, to embrace the vision of what we can become. This is so key. Embrace the vision of what we can become. A couple of quick verses. 2 Corinthians 3. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The Lord, Jesus, is changing us to be like him into the image of Christ. That's why we were made, and that's the design. That's the big picture, embracing the vision of what we can become. We can become like Jesus. I can become like Jesus. You can become like Jesus if we embrace this process of change, this saving process of change. Romans 8, 29, he predestined us, which simply means before we were even born, we had a purpose. We had a calling to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus. We are designed for change to be more and more like Jesus. That's the reason we're here. To become like Jesus, you might think, gosh, that's not me. I'm, I've made so many mistakes. I'm not this prayer warrior. You know, I, I, I don't study the Bible all the time. You know, I've got some problems in my thinking and in my habits and in my my life, and I, I don't know, I just can't get my head around becoming like Jesus. Well, just understand that the things of the past are the past. You're forgiven. Any failure in the future, you're already forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ. His work covered every sin, past, present, and future. In God's eyes, you're already there. In God's eyes, you're already his perfect daughter or son. Now he's working in you to make that more of a reality day to day. So don't beat yourself up for the past. Don't even beat yourself up for the present. Maybe some shortcomings now. And don't think that being like Jesus means you've got to be like your image of a pastor or image of a monk or a priest or whatever. You can be a normal person, normal family, even an abnormal person in an abnormal family, uh, just having a job, making a living, maybe being in a marriage, maybe raising some kids, all normal stuff, but just be like Jesus as you do normal things, right? Becoming like Jesus is really fairly simple. It's about humility and selfless service to others. That's pretty much what it's about. I don't want to be oversimplistic, but when you look at the life and teaching of Jesus, even as he des described himself, he says, I'm gentle and kind. The only time Jesus described himself is that he says, I'm gentle and humble. And, and that's what it means to be like Jesus. And you can be gentle and humble no matter where you are or who you are or, or mistakes of the past. Walk that journey of becoming more and more like Christ. Ephesians 4 talks about what it means to be like Jesus, what it means to be like God. It says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It's actually a pretty simple deal. Kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Simply, humility, grace, right? That's what it means to be like Jesus. To have that vision of what we can become and finally to embrace what needs to be cut away. There are things in our life that aren't humble. There are things in our life that aren't gentle. There are things that are in our lives that are not kind and not forgiving. Those have to be cut away. Ephesians 4, again, talking about what it means to live like God. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, right? That's that process of change. Put on the new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Created to be like God. This whole process of change, letting our thoughts be renewed and our life be renewed is towards the goal of becoming like God. That means we've got some things to throw off and that means we've got some things to put on. And don't be afraid to do a little soul searching on that. And I might encourage you to ask these three questions to people that know you and love you and care for you. These are very bold questions to ask. 
Ask your boss these questions. Ask your employees these questions. Maybe ask your family these questions, your friends these questions. These are questions that we actually embed in a lot of the reviews we do here with our employees. They're powerful questions. How am I most helpful to you? It's good to know, you know what we're adding value to people's lives. How could I be more helpful to you? What can I put on now that's going to be more beneficial to you? And here's the harder question. What should I stop doing? Are there things in my life that I should stop doing that aren't helpful to you? This is what I need to put on. This is what I need to take off. And instead of just asking in our own minds what we could put on and take off, maybe we ask other people, ask the hard questions. What can I do to be more helpful and what can I stop doing? What should I stop doing that isn't helpful? What can I put on to be more like Christ? What can I cut off or prune to be more like Christ? For me, over the past few years, this answer has been sarcasm and hyperbole. And all I'm saying is, hey, Jesus was sarcastic and used hyperbole, why can't I? That's kind of tongue in cheek. True, but tongue in cheek. my sarcasm and hyperbole tends to be a little bit biting. That's not helpful to people. So I've had to walk a journey of backing that off, you know, at home and here at church and at school and at Rancho to embrace that change and not resist it. I'm going to close with a video you might have seen. It's, it's kind of out there. It's pretty popular. It's a video about 2020. It's a video about this pandemic and racial tensions and politics. So there's a little political undertone in there. Don't worry about that. Please don't get offended. One of the changes we can make is to not be so offended, you know, with every little uh, wind that blows. But it's a three and a half minute video, and it's, it's really kind of cute and quaint and touching. Just embrace what it might look like if we took the troubled times of 2020 and we turned that around into changing more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Take a look. Tell me the one about the virus again, then I'll go to bed. But my boy, you're growing weary, sleepy thoughts about your head. Please, that one's my favourite. I promise just once more. Okay, snuggle down, my boy, though I know you know full well. The story starts before then, in a world I once would dwell. It was a world of waste and wonder, of poverty and plenty back before we understood why hindsight's 2020. You see, the people came up with companies to trade across all lands, but they swelled and got much bigger than we ever could have planned. We'd always had our wants, but now it got so quick. You could have anything you dreamed of in a day and with a click. We noticed families had stopped talking. That's not to say they never spoke, but the meaning must have melted and the work-life balance broke and the children's eyes grew squarer and every toddler had a phone they filtered out the imperfections but amidst the noise they felt alone and every day the skies grew thicker till you couldn't see the stars so we flew in planes to find them while down below we filled our cars we'd drive around all day in circles we'd forgotten how to run We swapped the grass for tarmac, shrunk the parks till there were none. We filled the sea with plastic, because our waste was never capped. Until each day when you went fishing, you'd pull them out, already wrapped. And while we drank and smoked and gambled, our leaders taught us why. It's best to not upset the lobbies. More convenient to die. 
But then in 2020, a new virus came our way. The governments reacted and told us all to hide away. But while we all were hidden, amidst the fear, and all the while, the people dusted off their instincts. They remembered how to smile. They started clapping to say thank you, and calling up their mums. And while the car keys gathered dust, they would look forward to their runs. And with the skies less full of voyagers, the earth began to breathe, and the beaches bore new wildlife that scuttled off into the seas. Some people started dancing, some were singing, some were baking. We'd grown so used to bad news, but some good news was in the making. And so when we found the cure, and were allowed to go outside, we all preferred the world we found to the one we'd left behind. Old habits became extinct, and they made way for the new, and every simple act of kindness was now given its due. But why did it take a virus to bring the people back together? Well, sometimes you've got to get sick, my boy, before you start feeling better. Now lie down and dream of tomorrow and all the things that we can do. And who knows, if you dream hard enough, maybe some of them will come true. We now call it the Great Realisation. And yes, since then, there have been many. But that's the story of how it started and why hindsight's 2020. Pretty powerful video. And it really asked the question, what is 2020 going to mean to us? Are we eager to get 2020 behind us? To get the discomfort of all this change around us? To get that kind of in the past so that we can get back to normal? I hope not. I hope what 2020 is gonna mean for us individually, in our families, in our church, in our workplaces, in our nation, and in our world, we're going to be forever changed for the good, as scripture says, towards the good and the noble and the perfect. And let that start with us. We can be responsible for how we change. We can't change everything around us, but we can change us and we can influence our families and how our family changes and our workplace changes and our neighborhood changes and how we treat each other. It could be a wonderful season where we're forever changed for the good, even through the troubles of 2020. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together in your word. We even thank you for this year that's been called a hot mess, but we know that, as James 1 tells us, we can consider it an opportunity for great joy when troubles come our way. That's a mindset, a mindset that says we're going to embrace change. The things around us may not be good. The things around us may be full of sorrow, but we're going to embrace this journey and embrace this change, that we can become more and more like Christ, and the world can become more and more like heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday.